Welcome to the Pathways Podcast. I'm Barry Slaughter of Macquarie Global Marketing. Joining me today for a discussion about the outlook for investing in real assets is Daniel McCormack, Head of Thought Leadership and the editor of Pathways, Macquarie's flagship publication. Daniel's work has long helped Macquarie's private clients understand the broad landscape for infrastructure and a range of other real asset types. Dan, great to be with you today. Thanks for having me, Barry. So we want to preview some insights that will be available in the Real Assets Outlook that's coming out in January from Macquarie Asset Management. You're the key driver of this viewpoint, and you've had many senior investment partners contribute research and writing. We published our global outlook across all asset classes in December, and in that you laid out themes for the year ahead, including the outlook for growth currently. Tell us just a bit about that work and how it generally informs these Real Asset Views. Yeah, thanks, Barry. The, the document is our Outlook 2023, and it's a really, it's really an amalgamation of all of the research teams across across Macquarie Asset Management and their views on on the year ahead. So both both macro and the outlook for each of the major asset classes in which Macquarie Asset Management invested invests. And I would say, you know, the macro section, the way we've done it is we've broken it down into three themes. And, and the three themes that we tackle are, one, what is the cyclical outlook, particularly for growth? Secondly, what is the structural outlook for the global economy? And there we talk a bit about how we think the world has changed very recently, you know, in a, in a very uh, long run sense that has some really what we think are profound implications for investors. And then the third theme that we tackle is the energy crisis and what all of that means for the energy transition. Yeah, it's great. So let's let's tackle the macro picture first. And the question on everyone's mind, of course, is inflation. And so um, inflation continues to be the issue of the day. We've seen signs of it moderating in recent weeks. Will it keep falling? So we think it will, particularly in the US, but also across the developed world generally. And we think it's falling because for the next six to nine months or so, there's just a lot of downward pressure on inflation. So first of all, one of the big things that drove inflation up was disruption to global supply chains. But global supply chains have been normalizing for a while now. And actually, the New York Fed produces a nice summary indicator of global supply chain pressures, excuse me. And it's fallen for 10 months now and is down about 77% from its peak. And we expect those supply chain pressures to continue to ease up over the next six to nine months or so. Secondly, we think that the inflation that's coming from commodity markets, so energy and food prices, that will moderate going forward as commodity markets realign and normalize. Um, thirdly, we, we expect aggregate demand, particularly in the developed world, to weaken pretty sharply going forward as the developed world economies go into, into recession. And then lastly, there's just also downward pressure on year-on-year -year inflation rates, courtesy of what economists call base effects, which is that you know, around about this time last year, the, the consumer price index rose quite sharply each month. And so what that means is that over the next few months or so, you need uh, rises of at least that magnitude uh, to see the year-on-year -year rate go up. So it's just a simple mathematical thing, but it just means that the bar is very high to get year-on-year -year inflation higher, while at the same time, there's all these downward downward pressures on it. So in the near term, we do think inflation uh, will, will fall, uh, particularly headline inflation could fall quite sharply now. But we, we, importantly, we don't think it'll get back to 2% in a great hurry. And where does this leave the view about growth prospects across developed economies? Will we see recessions in 2023? 
In our view, we will. So we think that the UK and Europe are already in recession. We think the UK entered recession in the third quarter of this year, and we think that will continue all the way through until the middle of next year. Europe, we, we don't have confirmation of a GDP contraction yet, but if you look at the survey data for Q4, it looks like it's highly likely that GDP will contract in the fourth quarter. So we think a recession has already started in Europe and will also that will go through until the middle of next year as well. The US is still is doing much better from a GDP growth perspective, but we think that the interest rate increases that the Fed has done and will do uh, will drive the economy into recession early next year. So the first half of next year looks pretty rough, particularly if you're in the developed world. Right. And you mentioned the Fed and, you know, there was this 50 point rate hike in December. And markets did seem to take note of the hawkish tone in the aftermath. Just want to get your take on like, what's, what do you see for the direction of monetary policy in the near and intermediate term coming weeks and months? Yeah, I think the Fed is very close to a pause. So they may well increase rates again at their next meeting, which is in late January, early February. My guess would it be would be that it will only be a 25 basis point increase. And I suspect that thereafter they will be on hold. The Bank of England probably has a little bit more work to do, but I also suspect they're not far off a pause as well. The ECB is probably the most hawkish of the three, and it probably has a bit more work to do as well. But I think by the middle of next year, it will be on hold also. So I think you know interest rate expectations are kind of peaking out now, and the news for 2023 will be pivots from all of the central banks, mainly to pause, but there is the possibility of some small cuts um, if the economic downturns deepen. So in the 2023 outlook, you talked about this concept of a structural change within the global economy and cyclical versus structural change. Can you summarize those views just a bit? They're very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Barry. So we do think the world has changed in some pretty profound ways in the, in the last few years or so. And you know, the change really is on the supply side of the global economy. We now think it's growing much more slowly than it has for quite some time. And, and to put that in context, I think that over the last 30 years, the supply side of the global economy has expanded very, very rapidly because of globalization, because of the revolution that's gone on in the technology space. Um, and that has created you know, a lot of good in the world. It's created low inflation. It's created stable GDP growth. It's, it's created falling interest rates. It's, created, it's led to rising asset prices. This has been a very good dynamic. Um, but we think it's it's changed. And, and, and the supply side has slowed down because of what I call the, the three Ds. So deglobalization, uh, demographics, and developed world productivity growth, which we think has slowed for reasons that are really quite quite durable. So when the supply side is, is growing less slowly, this, this really changes the picture for investors. And, and what we think it means is that for the next 10 or 15 years or so, inflation is going to be a bit higher than what we've been used to. It, it will come back faster when, when demand surges. We think interest rates will be higher than they've been for the last decade or two. And we think GDP growth will be you know, a bit more stop-start. And, and perhaps finally, but, but really importantly, there just won't be the policy flexibility around that we've gotten used to. Sometimes monetary policy makers will be constrained by inflation. They won't be able to cut when, when the cycle turns down. Sometimes governments will be constrained on the fiscal policy side by um, interest costs and, and by, by the level of debt, which means they won't be able to stimulate economies every time they turn down. And, and that 
has really important implications uh, for, for asset prices. So, look, there's plenty more details in the note, and I'd encourage readers to take a look at look at it if they're if they're interested. But we, we think this is a really important shift that investors should understand. Right, and also that it's an environment that favors real assets. So, shifting to the real asset views a bit, uh, you know, what types of assets within the space presently does Macquarie view as favorable, perhaps, and why? Yeah, our, our preferred sector, our preferred asset class is infrastructure. Uh, sec- second is is agriculture. It's it's a small asset class, but nonetheless, we think it has some favorable traits for twenty twenty three. And then least favorable uh, is is property, which we think has some near term headwinds, primarily because of the the increase in interest rates that we've seen across the world recently. Yeah, so let's take those on one at a time uh, from an investor viewpoint. What is it about infrastructure that that makes it attractive at the moment? So it has a number of traits that we think will be attractive in the macroeconomic environment that we think will be prevailing in in 2023. So what are those traits? Well, number one, it's defensive. So infrastructure assets tend to provide an essential service. So essential services um, what that means for consumers is they they have to consume it right so in a downturn you compromise on some things but you generally speaking don't compromise on electricity or water or gas these are things that that you need for your daily life so that means that the revenue line and the earnings line for infrastructure it's just more stable it's more defensive than is the case uh, for most equity investments out there secondly it offers inflation protection a, a lot of the uh, regulation in the infrastructure space provides an inflation inflation pass through uh, to to earnings, uh, you know, via the revenue line. Um, thirdly, you, you get a pretty good yield, and that's really important when the macroeconomic environment is volatile because yield becomes a sort of disproportionate driver of total return. And look, lastly, uh, it, you, you get exposure to structural growth drivers and. And we think in a year like 2023, where there'll be a dearth of cyclical growth, you know, structural growth drivers could start to attract a, a bit of a premium. And, and, and those, those, are, those structural growth drivers are things like uh, demographics, uh, decarbonisation and, and digitalization, which is, which, is a, which is a huge trend. Right. So in recent years, core infrastructure has been extremely popular. I'm wondering now... With yield back in the debt markets, do you see this creating a headwind for core infrastructure specifically in some way? I, I think it is, and I, I think it. I think it's a headwind certainly from a from a fundraising point of view. So, core infrastructure has been been very popular in recent years, and it, and it's been popular because there's been a push out. It's been popular with with debt investors. There's been a push out the risk spectrum uh, from debt investors, so they've taken on more duration. They've taken on more credit risk in, in the search for yield. And ultimately, they started to push into very defensive equity, i.e. Uh, core infrastructure. But with yields uh, now rising pretty sharply across the world and at, and at pretty respectable levels, that flow is really starting to dry up. Now, now that said, I think that core infrastructure from a fundamental point of view is still very attractive. So those traits I talked about that infrastructure has defensiveness, inflation protection, uh, yield, structural growth drivers, they're actually present in core infrastructure to a greater degree than they are in infrastructure as a whole. So I I think fundamentally core infrastructure still looks very good in 2023. 
But I think I think the drivers of the investor interest are starting to shift from from a pushing out the risk spectrum from dead investors to to seeing it uh, in the light of it has some traits that I want, and and I think that shift in investor mindset will, will just take a little while, uh, and there could be a bit of a slowdown in terms of investor interest and, and fundraising in this year. So both fundraising and deal volumes were quite strong in infrastructure in 2022. Is it is it fair then to say that despite the positive structural outlook overall, you see these moderating in 2023? Yeah, I think I think it will will mean that um, you know fundraising will be will be a little bit weaker, and and it could mean that you know deal volumes uh, will be will be a bit sluggish as well. And I think I think what's also weighing just on deal deal volumes is is the uncertainty that's out there. So if you look at the property space, for example, you've seen quite a dramatic slowdown in deal volumes, and this is due to bid ask spreads effectively effectively widening. And I think you know the, the fundamentals in infrastructure are better than property. So I don't expect the same pressure the, the same degree of pressures to emerge in infrastructure. but nonetheless as we roll forward, I think you'll see some widening of the bid ask spreads and therefore a slowdown in deal volumes. Okay, you mentioned property. Um, you know we see investors seeking clarity, regularly about the real estate landscape, uh, you know, given interest rates rising, construction costs being elevated. Where does commercial real estate fit into this overall real assets mix currently? So it's our least preferred asset class of the three. Uh, and, you know, as I sort of alluded to that, a lot of that has to do with the fact that property is just more sensitive to the rise in interest rates that's occurred. So it, it, it's more sensitive because, a lot of investors view it as a as a bond proxy. So cap rates ha- have risen in in the infrastructure space, putting downward pressure on on values, and financing costs are higher now. And 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 in some instances they're higher than the cap rate. So leverage doesn't pay. Taking on debt doesn't boost your ROE. Whereas you know that has been the case. I.e., leverage has boosted your ROE for as long as as most debt investors uh, can remember. So 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 the outlook for the asset class is is a bit more challenged. Uh, for, for that reason. But real estate is a really diverse sector. And I would say we, there's still things that we like, and we still like rental housing, particularly in the Anglo-Saxon market, such as the US and the UK. And, and we probably, the things we like least, are, less, excuse me, are things like, you know, secondary office, which, which we think is, is facing, you know, a number of headwinds at the moment. So Daniel, within the property market downturn that's happening now, are, is there anything different versus prior downturns? I think one big difference, Barry, is what's happened to, to construction costs. So normally what you find is that construction costs follow CPI. But over the last couple of years or so, they've risen much more dramatically than the CPI. And, and in fact, they're probably up about 25% globally. This is due to raw material prices going up and, and the cost of cost of labor. And I guess you know, what does that mean for property as, as we roll forward? Well, I think one, it kind of puts a floor under pricing, right? Um, because, you know, as soon as anything drops below replacement cost, then, you know, quite often with respect to asset classes, generally that is that is a buy signal. But I think also what it does mean is that if you do see property, you know, drop below replacement cost, and look, that could happen in some of the less loved sectors and some of the sectors that are going to face a bit more intense pressure as we as we go forward in that that is a clear opportunity and and that is a clear buy signal in our view and we're keeping an eye out for those those opportunities 
right? Are there other structural trends impacting property? Uh, you talk about structural trends in the report. What yeah, are those? What are the sectors being impacted? Yeah, like there's, there's a couple. And the one that, you know, is uh, one of the big ones is, is working from home, right? So, sure. so um, and, and this has really sort of crystallized further. I, I think initially property investors were, were thinking that, you know, as the pandemic hit and more people were working from home, once it passed, people would return to the office in the kind of numbers that they were attending before the pandemic hit. But that just hasn't been the case. And, and corporates are now formally adopting hybrid working as a model going forward to varying degrees, but but nonetheless, it, it's being adopted. And of course, what that means is at the margin, you know, less demand for office office space. And so, you know, if you're looking at, at, at offices, um, you know, they're facing some cyclical pressure on demand in 2023 due to the economic downturns that are, that are coming, but they're also facing this structural headwind uh, from increased demand for working from home. The, the other trend, the other structural trend that's interesting within property is, is, of course, online shopping and what that's doing, you know, to retail and what that's doing to logistics. Now, look, in short, this is just a trend that is not going away. I mean, I know personally, I just do a huge amount of shopping online now and, and compared to what I did, say, two, three, four, five years ago, it's just a it's a massive multiple of that. And, and that will probably only continue to go up going forward. So, uh, you know, I think. Uh, the retail space structurally will, will remain under pressure as a result of that. And, and what it means for logistics is that although we're going through a downturn now, that strong outlook for demand, that strong outlook for rental growth in that space will probably encourage investors just to be able to, to look through the downturn or certainly if there's a dip in pricing, see that as a long-term opportunity to take a position within the logistics space. So let's shift to agriculture. It's a smaller sector. Uh, it's another where macro issues are impacting the overall outlook. Uh, where does global agri stand in the asset view currently it, as well? It fits in the middle, Barry. And, and the reason that it fits in the middle is because it has quite a few of the traits that I talked about that, that infrastructure has. So, you know, it, it has a reliable return delivery through time. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with agriculture's large land bank. Um, it also offers inflation protection. So, so you know, you're selling commodities. Um, and, and it also offers a, a solid yield. So it, it has those traits that I think investors will, will like in, in 2023. But it's just that infrastructure has them to a greater degree. And, and so, you know, infrastructure is, is preferred over agriculture. But, but agriculture should do well as well. Well, Daniel, we're coming up on time. That covered a lot of territory. How can listeners access some of these great insights that we're continuing to release this month on real assets? Sure. The outlook, which is which is geared for institutional investors, is available for download at, at MacquarieIM.com. There's also there's also a chart book that accompanies that. So for those of you who are not interested in in sort of reading 50 pages of of macro and, and asset allocation views, um, that that chart book provides a, a really neat summary. We think of of some of our views and obviously has the key charts in there. Um, there's also a webinar featuring uh, the chief investment officers from our public market side of the business. So keep an eye out for that. Um, you mentioned Pathways, Barry, and that, <clears throat> that is published throughout the year. It's always available on our website or by request. We really encourage 
listeners to, to reach out to their Macquarie contact with any questions at all, whether it's about real assets topics or other investment issues you may be thinking about for 2023, no question is too small and we welcome the dialogue for sure. Well, thanks, Dan. There you have it. And I might add to please keep an eye out for new episodes of our show in the first quarter. It's available on major podcast platforms. Thanks everyone for joining and we'll look forward to seeing you in the new year. This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or a solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Throughout this presentation, various securities and companies are referenced. Examples given are for illustrative purposes only and were not chosen based on performance. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objectives will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, you should consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and the completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the marketing name for the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group. Investment products and advisory services are distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors LP, a registered broker-dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisor. Investment advisory services are provided by a series of Macquarie Investment Management Business Trusts. Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, none of the entities noted in this podcast are authorized deposit-taking institutions for the purposes of the Banking Act of 1959 from the Commonwealth of Australia. The obligations of these entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank Limited. Macquarie Bank Limited does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these entities unless noted otherwise.